This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found financial tech and the Guide Rock Capital Management Weekly Commentary for the week of June 17th, 2013. Jim Collison broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska, and we post the show, including the written commentary, each week out at TheAverageGuy.tv. Financial Tech brings you the latest marketing commentary from the award-winning Andrew Hunt, CFP and President of Guide Rock Capital Management, located here in Omaha, Nebraska. If you'd like to receive a free copy of the written commentary, I get one of those each week. Thank you, Andrew, for doing that. You can get them in advance. Just send us an email at Andrew underscore Hunt at GuideRockCapital.com and put subscribe in the subject line. He'll know what to do with that. And if you have questions or comments or anything we can read or answer on the show, send us an email. Just send that over to Andrew, Andrew underscore Hunt at GuideRockCapital.com. And, of course, you can find us both on Twitter. Andrew is just Andrew D. Hunt, and I am at Jay Collison. Andrew, great to have you this week. What do you have for us? Good to be here. Good to be here. Good to be back in Omaha as well. So I've been on the road a lot, as our loyal listeners will, will remember. Um, but this last week, um, you know, the International Monetary Fund, uh, the IMF, put out their uh, performance of the U.S. economy for the world to review and, and gnaw on a little bit. And, um, you know, when it put that annual review out there, it stated that, quote, despite some improvements in economic indicators, particularly in the housing market, the very rapid pace of deficit reduction, is slowing growth significantly, believe it or not. U.S. growth is expected to slow to 1.9% in 2013 from 22 back in 2012. This projection reflects the impact of the sequester, which is the $85 billion of automatic U.S. government spending cuts uh, and the expiration of the payroll tax cut and the increase in tax rates for high-income taxpayers. Growth could pick up to 2.2% next year with a more moderate fiscal adjustment and a further strengthening of the housing market. The IMF also said that the Federal Reserve should continue quantitative easing through 2013. That's pretty interesting stuff. I, I think if you read that quote, you, you found out in there that the IMF is actually saying that a reduced U.S. federal deficit is bad for the economy going forward, for growth, I guess I should say, for, for economic growth. Um, it's not the only pondering going on right now about the Fed's quantitative easing program. Uh, the major U.S. stock market indices finished the week lower. Uh, the Dow Jones fell 1.2% last week. The Standard & Poor's 500 index was off by 1%. The NASDAQ, the tech index, dropped by 1.3%. And remarkably, last week was crazy. The Dow experienced four straight days of triple-digit swings. As you might have known, if you watched the news today, the Federal Open Market Committee meeting was held uh, today, uh, yesterday and today, and then there was announcements today as well, um, actually Monday as well. Um, very few people expected the Fed announce that it will reduce the pace of bond buying immediately. Uh, most economists surveyed thought that the, the Federal Reserve will begin reduced bonds purchases by early fall. And of course today, Ben Bernanke continued to indicate that that is the case and markets fell because of that, which continues to just kind of blow my mind because one would think that the, the U.S. economy uh, not having to purchase so many bonds uh, artificially would be good, but in fact, it's actually hurting stock markets um, and growth projections <coughs> are hurt as well. 
So switching gears here a little bit, uh, when we think about renewable energy, it kind of sometimes feels like emerging markets, emerging countries are leading the way. According to UNEP's report, the Global Trends in Renewable Energy Investment 2013, quote, renewables are picking up speed across Asia, Latin America, the Middle East, and Africa with new investments in all technologies. Markets, manufacturing, manufacturing and investment shifted increasingly towards developing countries in 2012. For instance, after running even with the United States during 2011, China became the dominant country for renewable energy investment in 2012, according to the report. It's really interesting. Uh, I some of you who are in the Midwest might remember, uh, and this is kind of my inspiration. Uh, the last couple of years, as you drive across the Great Plains states, you see a ton of windmills. I was flying over Illinois last week, looking out the windows and just admiring it, all the amazing, uh, all the amazing technology out there. But even though that, uh, that, that quote that I just uh, mentioned about China surpassing the United States, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not in the race, the U.S. According to The Economist, um, an analysis by Bloomberg New Energy Finance found that the U.S. and China traded about $6.5 billion with a B dollars in solar, wind, and smart grid technology and uh, other services during 2011. America sold about $1.5 billion more to China than it imported. So the economist concluded, American ingenuity is required to supply Chinese factories with such things as polysilicon and wafers for photo, excuse me, photovoltaic cells and the fiberglass and control systems used in wind turbines. So what does the future hold? Well, Kiplinger's letters said solar power production will double in 2013 and move ahead of geothermal power as a source of clean energy. They believe that wind energy will soon rival hydroelectric power as well, which is interesting And for those of us in the Great Plains. Hello, that's a lot of stuff going on out here. The United States added more wind power capacity last year than any other type of power generation. Currently, wind comprises about 5% of power generated in the United States. So global investment in renewable energy may have fallen during 2012, but that doesn't necessarily mean the industry has lost momentum. Renewable energy is gaining share in a growing number of countries and regions, including the European Union, where renewable energy, primarily solar and wind power, accounted for about 21% of electricity consumption in 2011 and almost 70% of new electric capacity in 2012. So renewables just may prove to be the tortoise in the energy race. So then, uh, as we end every week with our quote of the week, this one is from good old Bill Shakespeare, the English poet and playwright. He says, uh, it is not in the stars to hold our destiny, but in ourselves. Very good, Andrew. Uh, of course, you know you hit a hot button with me when we talk about renewable energy, and uh, you know I know I drive a hybrid, and you know we work real hard here at the Collison House to try and do what we can to you know leave the economy or leave the uh, leave the environment uh, better than we found it. That's just one of the things that we try and do here. You know, I saw an interesting PBS special uh, with an energy expert. He was actually he divided our energy consumption here in the United States and around the world into seven different sections. And he really had a unique approach to it. And he was, in the next 25 years, we really just need to stop, not reduce, but just stop the current fossil fuel and, and those kinds of fuel consumption, oil and fossil fuels and those kinds of things. But just begin to slowly increase that which comes from wind and solar and, and some of those renewable sources um, that are out there. And interesting in this plan, because I think sometimes we think we've got to cut all the way back at once to get it done, when really we just need to start replacing 
you know, build those renewable sources up and start replacing them. And I too, as you drive out to Colorado, uh, as you go into Colorado Springs, you come up over the hill and you just see wind, you know, wind turbine after wind turbine, and it's kind of yeah. a great, a, a great scene. I've been encouraged that the Americans have blocked the, uh, wind production for a lot of years only on the basis of sight. Nobody wanted to see these windmills, right? And I think that's just crazy. Um, we've got to be a little bit smarter than that. And certainly we have uh, areas in the United States that are very windy and can support wind, you know, wind, and, and those things, somebody's got to buy those things. <laughs> somebody's got to make those things. And, uh, and so, um, you know, that is good for the economy as we put those things together as well. Andrew, one more question for you around uh, going back to the first part of what you were talking about. You know, I think when we talked about the sequester, uh, you know, that, that went in place, there was some doom and gloom. What effect has it had on the economy? There certainly it has slowed, but has it slowed as much as people thought? Is it slow? Is it slowing faster? What's kind of been the thought out there, you know, among the economists? You know, that's a really great question. I was at a conference uh, earlier this this month uh, where one of the chief economists from uh, University of Missouri at Kansas City spoke, and she's an economics teacher. Uh, really impactful stuff, and she talked a lot about how um, the U.S. economy is kind of counterintuitive. You know, when we tend to think about the U.S. economy, we tend to think about our personal balance sheet or our, our personal uh, finances because that's what we relate well to. But actually, the U.S. economy functions nothing like that um, uh, because uh, there is no such thing as uh, uh, printing money in a, in, a, in a personal household when that is actually a real thing in a, in a, in a government. And uh, so one of the things that she talked about that was really hurting the economy um, is this this uh, sequestration? It, it is the uh, the slowing of the bond buying. In her opinion, she thought that uh, that we really needed to be spending more, investing more um, as a country, and uh, and that that would drive growth. You know, we are seeing a little bit of slowing, although there are mixed signals. We've been talking about on here uh, on this program for the last several months. Uh, great housing reports, but consumer sentiment might be falling, and, and vice versa in any given week. Uh, so it's really interesting to think about and to, and to talk about, but right now I think it might be too soon to tell. I'll tell you, the markets hate the idea of slowing down quantitative easing, and markets tend to be a leading indicator, uh, and if they hate it too much, it could be really bad. So we'll see. All right. Good enough. Well, uh, we want to thank everybody for coming out tonight. We'll kind of wrap up this live uh, part of the show. If you are listening, and you can join us over at theaverageguy.tv slash live. Andrew, take a few questions right after the show. If you listen to the recorded version, you can join us. Uh, if you watch the, my Twitter account, at Jay Collison, I'll oftentimes announce when Andrew and I uh, go live. We don't go live at the same time with our schedules. It's really difficult to do that. We don't go live at the same time every week like a lot of shows. But if you do want to catch that, follow me on Twitter, at Jay Collison, and that will, I will tell you when we are going live with the show. Sometimes you just have to respond really quickly to that. And I'll let you know if you're new to podcasting and you're looking for an easy way to listen each week, you might want to consider using Stitcher, available on any browser as well as both on the Android and iPhone platforms. It's a great way to listen to your podcast both at home and on the road. This show and all the past shows are on Stitcher. Stitcher.com, just search for financial tech, and that works really well. I tried that again. I, about well, twice a week I check it just to make sure that the search is working. Stitcher, it's education for your ears. And be sure to visit Guide Rock Capital at uh, guiderockcapital.com. Follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew D. Hunt and get all the show notes to this show, the, the ones that we, Andrew posts early in the week, out at theaverageguide.tv if you just want a copy of it. And that would be theaverageguide.tv slash FT. 
0-800-242-0032 for the show. Now, now, Andrew and I say thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you next week. Remember, be smart about your investing. So, so the 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 indices, the markets, just kind of continue to wobble in there, kind of a little bit up, a little bit down, a little bit up, a little bit down. Is that maybe maybe one percent either way? Is that kind of the way it's been the last couple of weeks? It has been, yeah, but uh, the macro trends uh, are pretty clean, but the day-to-day has been just all over volatile. Yeah, I mean, yesterday <laughs> the market's up 1.1%. Today it's down 1.1%. I mean, just yeah. the volatility is just brutal out there. Right That's now. the That always begins to worry me when it gets, you know, it seems like we have this pattern of a straight line, not straight line, but of a we shoot up, mm-hmm. you know, and all this exuberance, and then it begins to wobble a little bit, and then they get really big variances, like way up, way down, way up, way down. And then yeah, it, you know, and and it's like you almost feels like you can predict it because the last three summers in a row, it's been just like this. Yeah. We come out of the spring super hot, and then the markets go super volatile all summer, and then you know we roll into September, October, November, things cool off a little bit, and. We skate into the end of the year, so I think people sitting on the sidelines who aren't, you know, professionals, they probably look at this and go, "Man, I don't want to invest in this market. This is crazy. You know, I could lose one percent by choosing to invest on Monday rather than Tuesday." Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you can't blame them. You kind of got to say, "Well, that's why you got to take that balanced approach that you mentioned yeah. earlier and yeah. tiptoe in." Well, and and the 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 effect of dollar cost averaging into a wobbling market. Does is that good enough? Does that even it out in the long run? If in during these wild swings, if I'm dollar cost averaging in, in other words, I'm making consistent purchases every single month or twice a month through my 401k, is that even it out? You know, it should over the long term, right? So we're talking about five year time horizons yeah. or more. It should even out, but it's really. Um, you know, in, in volatile times, you know, I think it probably would be even better to buy more, right? Because yeah. <laughs> uh, really, you're just getting that you're getting that average cost, and that kind of the definition of dollar cost averaging, right? Getting yeah. that average cost, and and you're still subject to some of that risk that you know, if your monthly draft is set up to be on Wednesday, um, <laughs> you know, and the the market just has to be, happens to be up. You know, you almost guy almost wonders if maybe he should buy every week through the summers here lately. But I don't know. It's probably kind of like market timing at this point. So. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Hey, we got a quick question. You got a minute to stay mm-hmm. for a quick question. So yeah. Um, so Aunt uh, Pruitt in the in chat says, seems like there's been some drawbacks on renewable energy investments. Example, aren't the price of hybrid vehicles and other green tech somewhat expensive? Do you think consumers will buy green? <laughs> yeah. That's a great question. It's a million dollar question, right? That is the million dollar question. Yeah. Well, you look at a company, um, you know, God, I love Tesla Motors. In fact, I love anything Elon Musk does. Uh, so he's he happens to also own uh, the world's largest solar energy company, right? So if you're out in uh, California, you know what I'm talking about because you see them everywhere. Um, so they install all the photoelectric uh, mirrors on people's roofs out there. And he's found a way to make it work. Now the Model S is still expensive, right? You can still, but you can lease it for $780 a month, uh, which is expensive, um, but they're also kind of taking a luxury bend at it. So it's kind of like buying a Mercedes that also happens to be run on batteries. Um, he's done the same thing with his uh, with the solar power uh, deal. It's, he's made the barrier to entry very, very low, 
So if we can find more innovation that way, where things become cheaper and you still get high quality type products, I think that's the secret sauce. Um, but you know, if you go out and buy a, a, a Toyota Highlander hybrid, you know it's fifteen thousand dollars more or ten thousand dollars more than the than the regular electric car. So we're seeing a lot of people or regular uh, gas car. So we're seeing a lot of people even buy um, uh, you know diesel cars instead of. Uh, which is, in my opinion, not that much better. No, not anymore. Diesel is so expensive. Yeah, and it's dirty, you know. Yeah, and so, yeah. from a, if you're really worried about the environment, it's not. It's just you're trading cost. Yeah. So I think that's the million dollar question. What? How will people afford it, and how will it really catch on? Um, you know, and a lot of the government subsidies have fallen off, too. You know, back yeah. in 2010, a lot of the money uh, that was being spent was was as subsidies for these wind farms and stuff. and That's fallen off, and so these guys are now kind of feet to the fire trying to figure out how to make it work. It's yeah. interesting. I don't know the answer to that. It's a great question. Yeah, and so he, his follow-up question is, no, what does that mean for, the, what does that mean for investors uh, in, as far as making, uh, and I think maybe he's talking about uh, how do we approach investing in these companies uh, not just purchasing the product. So I think what you said is great as far as when we talk yeah. about the consumer side of things, and, and I agree with you. It's tough. It's a tough sell, although it's gotten better. I yep. think gre green uh, purchasing green has gotten easier, and I think yep. over the next 10 years it will continue to do that. And Andrew, talk about it, maybe investing in some of those companies that are into yeah, so I think the way it works, I think the way to take advantage of it is you've got to look for companies uh, that are big enough to have the scale uh, to make it work. I think we kind of have this sexy dream of finding the next startup um, that's going to you know come out of nowhere and and blow up. But this is again, this is this is almost like utilities, right? Uh, to make this work, you need huge economies of scale. So we got to be looking to companies, utility companies, places like General Electric, places um, like IBM, some of these huge companies that have lots of cash to throw at this problem. And I think that's probably where investors can find can find some opportunities is looking for big companies that are willing to bet on it. And then I think the other piece is if you look at what's happened with shale um, and shale gas in, in North Dakota and Texas, um, uh, the way to take advantage of that, right, <clears throat> is uh, is with uh, strategic purchases and uh, in land, not so much the companies themselves, uh, not so much the natural resources, the commodity, uh, but really it becomes a play on downstream uh, downstream service providers, uh, land, and um, and and not necessarily the companies themselves because they're kind of fly by night. So you got to watch that um, and and really keep your keep your nose to the to the stone because I think sometimes it seems like well gosh maybe I should just go buy in this private placement or this uh, master limited partnership or some of these crazy ideas that come across the table for investors, uh, but you might get burned in those scenarios and so you really want to watch. Um, Look for the downstream uh, people that are um, uh, that are servicing the bigger companies that are doing the drilling and things like that for shale gas because those those companies uh, probably have a little bit more sustainable business model uh, and I, I think could be a good opportunity for eco friendly investing uh, outside of normal channels. Yeah, Andrew, what do you see uh, these green companies, renewable energy companies? Do you see them as a separate segment in the market? Can you separate them out and kind of put them in their own kind of in their own category? So if we were talking about a risk category or something like that, do you separate those out? Those kind of companies? 
Not yet. Um, it's not too prolific. Uh, you know, there's not enough big energy companies that are really plowing ahead. Uh, what we're seeing these big energy companies do is, is they're investing in natural gas, they're investing in shale, they're investing. So we're not seeing a lot of them go build wind farms. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of them uh, hit on solar yet. Um, so I don't think it's prolific enough yet. Now, of course, there's this whole emerging field of socially responsible investing. Um, you know, there's tons of new products coming out around that. Uh, but that's also avoiding other quote-unquote sin-type uh, investments, uh, also looking at corporate governance and things like that, not just eco-friendliness. So. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. I think... Um you know, along um, along those lines, all those energy sources that we just talked about are all finite, right? I mean, the planet's only so big. There's only so much gas. There's only so much oil in the ground. There's only so much natural gas. Eventually, uh, as supplies run short, price goes up, and really renewable will make sense when the the fossil fuel or the you know those the natural gas uh, is more expensive than putting photovoltaic on your roof. Or and wind. that's why shale yeah. works. Yeah, uh, that the you know the the, sh the shale gas works because uh, regular gas is so expensive. I yeah. I heard that if gas were to fall, uh, normal light sweet crude were to fall uh, below uh, what we experience on the end at three dollars a gallon. If it were to fall below that, then the shale gas wouldn't work. It wouldn't be economically viable anymore. Yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I, we live in interesting times, and and I think these as we move forward, it's a very complex. Uh, I mean, it's a very complex market. I think and. The way everything is tied together, very global in the sense, you know, you mentioned at the front of the show, China really starting to pick up the pace on something, putting some of those things in. I think they realize, you know, they're uh, kind of living in our 1970s right now, right? I mean, polluted air and smog and horrible work conditions, and you know, uh, they would be wise to look to the United States and say, oh, you know, maybe we should not repeat the sins of the past and, and realize what we went through and, and the enormous amount of money we spent to clean that up. Now, a lot of, a lot of sins have already taken place over there, and they've, they've got some cleanup to do in, in years ahead. So it'll be interesting to see how they're responsible uh, in that. Or is, the, Chinese, is the, the market in China still roaring, or has it kind of settled down as well? You know, we started to see some slowdown, and we've talked about it on the show here a little bit, some indications of slowdown, right? Now it's all relative um, for China. They, they were experiencing GDP growth um, in the double digits, and even so slowing down to 8% growth would be significant over there, uh, which is what they're projected to do. And so when we talk about U.S. GDP growth at 2%, it kind of, kind of boggles the mind, but um, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll remind folks, it looks like that's the questions for the night. Uh, if you got to the end of this uh, show here on YouTube, congratulations. We normally go about 15 minutes each and every week. You can catch those out at theaverageguy.tv. And if you want a specific show, just put FT. That's short for financial tech. And then this episode is 032. Andrew, I might even just tag. I'll edit this up a little bit and uh, tag it on the end of the regular show for folks. And they can get, I think you, you had some some good words in there, so we'll add that in as well. And uh, we'll say thanks. If you're out there on YouTube, thanks for watching us. Appreciate you coming out tonight. We do it every week. Just to subscribe to it over at TheAverageGuy.tv. Thanks, guys. GuideRock Capital Management, Inc., or GuideRock, is a registered investment advisor that is registered with the state of Nebraska and located in Omaha, Nebraska. GuideRock and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration requirements imposed upon investment advisors in the states in which they maintain clients. 
GuideRock may only transact business in those states in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. Important information describing GuideRock's business operations, services, and fees can be viewed on the SEC's website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. GuideRock will provide Form ADV Part 2, which serves as the firm's disclosure document to all clients. Copies of Form ADV Part 2 are also available to interested parties upon request. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Past performance is not indicative of future results. No current or prospective clients should assume that the future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, or product made reference to directly or indirectly on this video, website, or indirectly via hyperlink or any affiliated third-party website will be profitable or equal to past performance levels.